This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's me, your favorite rom, Vanya. Hello, Vanya. And it's also me, your favorite crime, Avrin. <laughs> Hi, Av. How you doing? I'm a crime. I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm a living crime, apparently. Love it. You're, you're a rom <laughs> criminal. We're all little rom criminals inside, right? That's right. Even though we don't act Absolutely. upon our... No, we just try to figure out why other people do evil things. That's true. And then hope and hope they get caught and... Justice is served. Yeah. I got like totally dorked out when I realized that all of the TV like came back on and I was like, oh my God, there's new Law and Orders. And you know, Christopher Maloney came back and has Law and Order. Yes. And that was one of my favorite parts. I know that you've talked about this on your other podcast and we've mentioned it on here, but the only murders in the building. Are you up to date? So good. I think so. I think I am up to date. I have to make sure. But Yeah. yeah. Like the part in the episode where they're in her bed like her childhood bedroom and she has a full cutout of Elliot yes and I was like this show could have been it was created for me like I I could have come up with half the stuff because it's all stuff we were in the works and still we can change our our script but we were in the works of writing something kind of similar in certain ways but it's okay I'm not bitter I feel like ideas and creativity are out in the ether and if you don't just start writing it then someone else will the idea will leave you that's right that's what... Right, and it'll float off to Steve Martin, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, good for you, Steve Martin. But it's so good. Watch the show if you're It not. really is. It's amazing. If you're listening to this, we promise that you would love it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to tell one of my favorito... I'm going to talk through and retell one of my favorite movies. And I have to tell mm-hmm. you, it came from a suggestion. Thank you, Shannon Oliver, for sending us an email. We do appreciate it. She came up with a couple, and this is one. And I'm like, oof, we got to do Dirty Dancing, Avrin. We need to. Yes, I know. So. I'm, part of me is like, let's not spoil this with a crime story after. Let's just talk Dirty Dancing. But I, I do have a crime story that I've tied into it. It's going to, I think it'll be worth it. And I guess I just want to start out with asking you, have you ever Dirty Danced? I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> I've never like couples dirty dance the way they do. Like, no, I've never done that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've like dropped it like it's hot in a club several times in my <laughs> life. So <laughs> I does that just age me so bad that I described it that way? No, I dropped who it like cares? it's hot. In a- Everyone wants to drop it like it's hot. I want to drop it like it's hot right now. Uh, no, I watched the movie again, which for me probably is like the millionth time because yes, I am a child of the 80s and this came out in 1980s. 
87. But I also rewatched, um, I love this series. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend it if you like nostalgia. It's on Netflix and it's called The Movies That Made Us. And it was season one, episode one, and they cover Dirty Dancing. So Dirty I, Dancing. I watched a little bit. And the writer, the woman who wrote Dirty Dancing was like, a, she liked to dirty dance. She was kind of hilarious. Her name was Eleanor Bergstein. And isn't this movie actually like based on her story? Like it's like loosely based on it's very like her loosely experiences. Based. Yeah, she when she was a kid, and she's like very uh, much older, not very, but like you know, older than even our parents. Uh, she would go into basements and dirty dance with people. So it was like, you know, the Amazing. kids, uh, you know, were doing it and she was into it. And she said she was, a, she always thought of herself as a very good dancer and with natural rhythm. She's kind of hilarious New York lady, you know. Um, I love it. But yeah, I'm excited to retell the story. I think it, yeah. it will. Uh, Can I just tell you like the, First time I ever, my funny like anecdote about Dirty Dancing Please. and I'm just apparently, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like full TMI on the podcast here. But I remember, I let's see, if it came out in 87, I certainly wouldn't remember watching it then. And I'm sure my parents weren't like, sure, five-year-old, join us in watching this movie. Yeah. Um. So I was, you know, I probably watched it in the early 90s when I was around 10, 11. And obviously watching it again multiple times growing up, there was so much I just like went right over my head. But yes. I remember... <laughs> turning to I think it was my big brother but it might have been my mom honestly <laughs> and and in the scene in the bedroom where they like finally yeah like kiss and stuff I turned to whichever one of them it was and I was like how come this makes me feel tingly down there <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like dirty dancing was the first it time I ever watched you. something that I was like <gasps> what's this weird feeling it's, you know what I'm, I mean it did it to a lot of people Do you know what movie that was for you was there a movie or was I, it, it could have been was this one too personal? I know. I don't really remember, but I could definitely tell you I liked this movie. I liked the sex scene in yeah. this movie. And apparently, just another fun side note from the from the uh, the movies that made us, there was more sex in that scene, but they had to take it out to get a PG-13 rating. It was pretty intense. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably good because then I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it's it. It's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's, I love that, by the way. And yes, it, it still makes me feel tingly down there. I love it every I time I watch it, was, it. I just think it's so funny that I have such a specific memory of not just like having the feeling, yeah. but asking yeah. my parent or my big brother, like, why is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm just going to let you figure that out on your own. And they're later, like, oh, little sis. sometimes movies are meant to make us feel That's good, so honey. Funny. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so it came out in 1987, August 1st, just to be precise. And it was directed by Emil Odolino. And he was a he was a director who I went and looked back. He didn't do much more than other dance films. Like he was a dancer, and that's why these um, women picked him. Who the producer was this woman, uh, and and then Eleanor, and they were a team. And that I actually kind of love that they had this movie on their own, and they got it made. And they so Eleanor wrote it. She wrote it scene by scene with the songs that are in it. Because I think the first, coming off the top, I just want to say the music here is just. 
amazing and it Perfect. makes yeah it really makes you feel more it makes you understand more and they talk about how how dance is integrated into each scene in different ways because there's like class differences and yeah yep yeah i love that because the music really is i mean they're everybody knows every song and she had to insist for that because music this was a low budget film back in the day it was four million dollars which is Seems like a lot of money, but it's very low budget for what they actually pulled off and how successful this movie. I mean, I think this movie made them millions of dollars every year to to date. Basically, they're still making money off of this movie. I mean, I just bought it in U U UHD, whichever that means, ultra ultra high definition. (laughs) Like it matters, but I don't know. I was like, sure, I'll get it. I like it. I'll watch it again. But yes, but like I said, the songs are just so important important, and they make the movie so. It's set in, well, let's also say it is starring, of course, Patrick Swayze, who is amazing, and Jennifer mm-hmm. Grey, who plays Baby, Patrick Swayze plays Johnny, and Jerry Orbach, I'll, I'm just going to mention those guys at the top, Jerry Orbach, Orbach plays her dad, Dr. Hausman, and he's just such a wonderful actor. Oh my gosh. Okay, we'll talk about the scene, but... I love him. Yeah. Me too. I love him. It's set in 1963. We open... Even the opening sequences is like slow motion, these bunch of people just grinding. It's all the dance people of the camp, but you don't really know, or the resort. They're all grinding, aka dirty dancing. And then we see Baby in the backseat of the car, and her and her family are driving to this resort in the Catskills. Her with her wealthy father, which it was who he's a doctor, and her mother, mm-hmm. and her older sister Lisa, who's like kind of like what? Okay, I'll follow you there. Whatever, you know, she's like kind of a dork. <laughs> but baby is like a young, politically idealistic girl. That was the summer of 1963, when everybody called me baby, and it didn't occur to me to mind. That was before President Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came, when I couldn't wait to join the Peace Corps. And I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad. That was the summer we went to Kellerman's. They arrive at Kellerman's, and we then we hear the moms talking, and the mom and dad... This is not a tragedy. A tragedy is three men trapped in a mine, or police dogs used in Birmingham. Monks burning themselves in protest. Butt out, baby. And then we see... We see the dance instructor with it, like as they get to this resort and they see all the things happening. There's people playing like volleyball and dancing and doing all these weird things. And there's this dance instructor that that's the first thing they decide to do. They get out of the car and they're like, yeah, let's move our legs. Let's go. And it is um, Penny, who is played by a wonderful dancer, Cynthia Rhodes. And she's just like moving everybody around. so good it's evening now and baby yells to her parents mom dad i'm going to the main house to look around and this happens really quickly so she walks up to the boss giving the mail servers a talk before the dinner service starts and his speech is like it's kind of nasty his name's max he's the owner and he's like show the goddamn daughters a good time romance them any way you want but all but his servers are all men and he picks them only from the ivy league schools so the whole point is for them, you know, there's there's even class structure within the back of the house. It's like you've got the servers and then you have the dance people who are like the people from the streets or whatever. And they're considered, <laughs> yeah, because Johnny, she sees Johnny come in with his crew and he's so cool. Johnny, Patrick Swayze, he got his leather jacket and Max is like, but you, 
you don't mess with the girls, you know, is like there are different mm-hmm. rules for the dance team. So, okay. So he wants the servers to boink the daughters, but not the dance instructors. Exactly. Okay. But then we're at dinner and we meet Robbie, who's the server. He's he's a medical school from Yale. And now we know, okay, Lisa, the sister, that's going to be her love interest in this movie. And then we meet Neil, who is Max's uh, annoying grandson, and Baby's reluctant like love interest. And he's right. he's like such a... I feel bad, but he's such a nerd. And he's like, well, I can tell you all about hotel management. And I own ho- two hotels. And I'm the mm-hmm. cool, you know, just just the right. guy you don't want to talk to. Yeah. You're like, oh, no thanks, Max. <laughs> Baby's nice enough. She's like, okay, sure. And then there's dancing after dinner. The dance people come in. And they are here to keep the guests happy. And Johnny and his dance partner, which is Penny, do an incredible dance. And then uh, Neil, who's dancing with, who's really like, awkwardly dancing with baby is like saying about the Patrick Swayze, excuse me, Johnny and Penny dancing. They shouldn't be showing off with each other. That's not going to sell lessons because all he's about is just like making money and selling. But baby is like salivating, looking at them. And you could just see like the yearning in her eyes. It's so intense. And then their dance is cut short because Max is like, knock it off, you know, dance with the people. Then Baby gets roped into helping out, out with the magic show because that guy Neil is sort of in charge of all the games that summer. And she is, it's like embarrassing and they give her a duck and she leaves and she's like, you can tell she just feels shame about it. She's making her way back to her family's cabin when she hears music coming from the help's quarters. And she looks at the long stairway and sees this guy who in the beginning of the movie helped unpack the car. And this is Billy. Billy just so happens to be the cousin of Johnny. He got a job that way. He's carrying, guys, what is he carrying? Uh, Is it a watermelon? (laughs) Can you keep a secret? The doors open to this red-lit, grindy dance fest, much different than the Mambo. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of like, where'd you learn to do that? They go in, and as she wades through, like, the sexy, sweaty crowd, Johnny and Penny finally return from work. And so there's other, you, you get the hint that these are other dance instructors. I guess dancing is, like, a big thing there. Or it's just workers mm-hmm. of, but they all like to get off of work and go to like their indoor area and dance their asses off. It's like let off that steam, you know. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then so Penny and Jenny Johnny come in and they are just like now it's dirty dance time. Like before in the big main area they were doing like the the mambo. I think it was da 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 da. And now it's like I'm a love man. <laughs> yes, I'm a love man. Just grinding, super grindy. And I'm like, some mm-hmm. of the grinding you see is like... It's dirty. Wouldn't you just want to go and, you know, get the deed going? <laughs> but anyways, good for good for them to um, have a little... Uh, what do they call that before sex? A little foreplay. There you go. I don't even know what it's called because I'm all about just get it done. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I love it. I love foreplay. Um, where are we at here? So Billy lets baby know that they aren't a couple because they really, everybody see, thinks they're a couple. People think they're a couple. You would think that, right? And he's like, no, they've just been together because what we find out later, but she's been out of her house since she was 16 and they're all like poor kids. And I think what it seems to is that Johnny and Penny are best friends who look after each other and and their dance partners and their dance partners but they created their own sort of family and then johnny lures baby onto the dance floor and he's t- starting to teach her how to like 
do the dirty dance moves. And it's a little awkward, but I always love this scene. Now roll this way. And she kind of awkwardly does it. And she's so focused and she starts to really enjoy the song and it's and she's going and all of a sudden the song's done and he just like leaves and disappears and she's like, woo! It's just like being left alone dancing by herself. And she's like, mm, great, wonderful. That's That would so happen to me. The next day, the men are playing cards and the kids are swimming and the women are trying on wigs. Because that's a fun thing to do, which actually it really is a fun thing to do. Yeah, it is. I was like, I, I would try on wigs. We should do it. I have a ton. No I have a few more that I got just because I collect wigs, I guess. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's just fun. Baby and Lisa. I don't know. Not baby Lisa is what I felt like I was saying. But they're trying on their wigs and gross Robbie, who is the medical guy, whatever, from Yale, who's also the server, comes up to Lisa and he kind of is like, you look beautiful. Baby goes up to Penny and she's like, you know, you're such a wonderful dancer. I envy you. And Penny just runs off. She's so upset. And you don't really understand why if you haven't seen this movie. But if you know what happened, which I think a lot of people have watched this. It's like Robbie just walked by. Mm-hmm, shit's going down. Mm-hmm. That evening, there's dancing. And we get introduced to the bungalow bunnies. That's what they call the women who stay during the week. And their husbands come up just on the weekends. And one of them is played, uh, the character's name is Vivian West, and it's played by this woman named Miranda Garrison, who I found out was one of the choreographers of the movie. Oh, cool. She's, yeah, because she plays like this really cougarish time. Uh, it's like, she's yeah. just like dripping with like, hello, young boy, here's my key, you know, I'll meet you later. And then an- <laughs> annoying Neil, who just looks like he has bad breath, it comes up to Johnny demanding Penny. He's like, where's Penny? Because she's not around. And he's like, she needed a break, all right, man. Well, he's like, I just hope it's not all night. Neil. Ugh. And I know why they put him in the movie, but it's like, come on. So that, but then he whips, whisps, baby out for a walk in the dark and they're watching the lake and the stars or whatever and he's kind of trying to get close he's like i love the way your hair blows in the in the wind i'd be like get the fuck away from me <laughs> she's like neil no <laughs> i know and it's like seriously no neil no <laughs> i would i feel like that would be such a good acting exercise if you're supposed to pretend like you hate somebody just to pretend like they have bad breath that would really work for me yeah that I think that's an excellent like you know character decision to make to have the repulsion literally a, be a physical thing like totally I, I think that's because f- it's so simple and to the point and sometimes that's how you need to play things on camera right so stinky breath guys here we go anyways then out of nowhere out of the bushes her sister Lisa is you know they don't see Lisa doesn't see baby and Neil but baby sees Lisa and she's running away from Robbie. We hear her say, I don't hear an apology, Robbie. And he's a dick. He's like, maybe you'll have one, get one in, maybe you'll hear one in your dreams. And she's like putting back her kind of like her clothes. So here's the thing. Did he try to rape her? He's kind of a piece of shit. And then Neil's, he feels it's important to let baby know sometimes you're in this world and you see things you don't want to see. It's just like very gross the way he says she's like you hungry come on and so they go to the main kitchen he's like you can have anything you want i i'm the owner's grandson you can eat whatever you want in the fridge you want cheese you want sweet gherkins and between that um baby sees penny like huddled down in the corner sobbing shaking and she's smart enough she's like i'm gonna get she knows that penny's missing yeah she's like i'm gonna get him out of there so she gets him out and Let's see, baby sees Penny crying in the corner. She gets baby. 
Oh, yeah. She's like, I'm going to go check on Lisa after the attempted sexual assault. And Baby instead runs to Johnny. She uh, mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, Penny's here. She asks what's wrong with her. And Billy pipes in. She got knocked up. And Baby thinks Johnny knocked her up. Which, where did that phrase even come from? Knocked up. But whatever. It is what it is. Know. It means yeah. impregnated. But it, <laughs> but it wasn't Johnny. He was just, you know, like we talked about earlier, but they were best friends and they take care of each other right so she wants an abortion but back then abortions were legal illegal it's 1963 and penny says oh god it's hopeless (laughs) don't say that there's got to be a way to work it out baby is that your name well you know what baby you don't know shit about my problems and we find out that it was robbie the creep who actually did it the one that Lisa was saying it's like piece of shit person so the next day baby's gonna fix them fix some things right like she's this positive idealistic person Mm -hmm. and she goes to Robbie to ask for money for the abortion it's $250 which back in 1963 is quite a bit of cash and of course again he's a piece of caca and he says you know what baby some people count and some people don't and she's like, you make me sick. Stay away from me. Stay away from my sister or I'll have you fired. And then she pours cold water on his va- vagina. His, on his, I meant crack. His crack. <laughs> that is, Call it his vagina. I like that. His, on his vagina. And then he runs. she runs to dad on the golf course and she asks him for the money because she knows in her heart that this is the right thing to do. He had always told her if someone was in trouble. You should help. Yeah. And he goes, well, what's it for? And she's like, I can't tell you. It's a really intense scene because we really get this. And that's one thing I didn't mention on the way up. But we get that the dad and the daughter, Baby and Dr. Hausman, they have like this great relationship. You know, she's really politically ideal- idealistic. He is. He loves that. They probably have political conversations at home. You know, he, she was definitely daddy's little girl. And you get the sense that Lisa is more like the mom's daughter. She's more like into like fan- frilly things. And so anyways, at this moment, the best friend daddy daughter relationship is a little straining just a hair because he goes, It's not illegal, is it? No, daddy. And then he, he's like, Well, that's a stupid thing for me to ask you. You'll have it before dinner. Then she goes back to the dance people's party and slides through the grinding crowd and finds Penny and Johnny just, you know, working off their day, grinding vaginas together. I mean, gr- grinding mm-hmm. privates together. <laughs> She's got the money. And Johnny said, It takes a real saint to go ask daddy. And then Penny refuses it. And Johnny's like, wait, what? No, wait, no, you just take the money. She's giving you the money. Oh, yeah. And then Billy, who's the, the cousin, is always there for like the background. And he's like, I can only get her an appointment for Thursday. They do their act at the shell break on Thursday night. If they cancel, they lose this season's salary next year's gig. What's the shell break? It's another hotel where they do the mambo act. Can't someone else fill in? Johnny makes a joke. What do you want to do it? And Penny thinks, yes, this is it. And they're both like, no. Johnny's like, she can't. You, she, you hurt her. She has two left feet, whatever. But anyway, it's on. Baby is going to save the day. That's right. She's got the cash and the two left feet to fix all the problems. That's right. Penny's going to get her abortion and all is well. And she's going to learn that damn routine. And then we get, a, it's a really hefty montage, it, which I love. And I think people who love this film love mm-hmm. it's like the dance training montage and god damn it i love a montage of course she's not great at first but slowly she's getting better johnny says steps aren't enough 
you got to feel the music. It's not the mambo, it's a feeling. And then he puts her hand on his heart and they begin to dance. What do they begin to dance to? It's the beat oh. of his heart. Oh, oh. Is it the <laughs> blub dub? Oh, blub dub. They... Blub dub. I was like, what song is it? <laughs> you know, he's like, lock your frame. This is your dance space. This is mine. And he's being serious. And apparently there was some animosity between the two actors in real life because I think they had dated or had some sort of a past on, they were on the movie Red Dawn together before that. And I don't even know what that movie is, but they were oh, on it okay. together. And so there was like a little bit of past anger. And it sounds like Jennifer Grey it was a little more like prissy, but, but it, it, and I wouldn't even say that. She just, you know what? Honestly, she had low blood sugar and she wanted to eat. They make fun of her like wanting a cheese platter at some point, but I could never do long hours without eating either. So everyone needs to just calm the hell down. And then Patrick, she was hungry and yeah, Patrick was Swayze hungry. was a guy from Texas. Like kind of, his his mother was a, one of the biggest dance instructors in the entire state of Texas. So he learned how to dance and he went to the Joffrey as a young mm. boy. Um, and actually, I thought this was really right. interesting. In uh, On his resume, his acting resume, he said no dancing because he had hurt his knee playing football in high school, but he was actually an amazing dancer. So they almost didn't even audition him because of that. Um but the, anyways, the the director, Emil Ardolino, was like, oh, no, he's like, you know, a real good dancer. So anyways, that's how they brought him in. But I digress. <laughs> they have a bit of tension from that. And the director was saying, you know, it's okay if he gets mad at her because it reads as passion. Because you see him getting frustrated with the tickle scene. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that wasn't supposed to be that way. Oh, okay. I feel like I was reading that part of the reason why she got the role was because of the natural, like, push and pull that existed already between the two of them because she was, um, I think, much older uh. than the other girls they were considering for the part because she was 27 when they made the movie and she's supposed to be 17. Um, but but that she and Patrick, she got the part because of the natural, like, absolutely movie tension. Yeah, no, they made the right call. But I didn't realize that the, she wasn't supposed to be laughing when he touched her. I thought that was the day she was really, really hungry. And I guess it was like 3 a.m. and they're shooting this scene. And she just is like, kind of like loopy at this point and he and the director just kept the camera rolling instead of like you know just went back and forth and she laughed i mean that was such right. a scene i i did that with my cousin we would always do it we thought it was really funny to like do the scene oh, and, yeah and eventually she gets it you know she's growing she's learning <laughs> also towards the end of as this montage keeps going her costume her outfits get like sexier and less dorky and she is awakening inside or that at least that's what it seems like and i think that's what the director and the writer want us to feel and we are feeling it okay so this is one of my favorite scenes i can, you know what i'm just gonna say that for probably so many this is one of my favorite scenes but it's the raining scene it's like we're upstate new york <laughs> so it's the catskills it's torrential downpour raining outside and they're getting frustrated you know she tries to do a back thing and he's like what are you trying to kill me and it's all super real and then we hear that song because they mix <laughs> They mix like oldies from the 60s to some music from the 80s. Right. And then you hear that song, this overload. And so there he's like, we got let's get out of here. Because she's like, you won't, you won't teach me the turns or you won't teach me the lifts. And they're going out to his car and he locked his keys in the car and he's really frustrated. And so he kicked over this pole and then he broke the window and now they're driving. And she's like, you're wild. You're just wild. It's great. I always really was like, you go, girl, because that scene is so silly. And so, I mean, even as you're watching it, yeah. you're just like kind of cringing at like the silliness of the scene. But she manages to like stick in the moment, even though you're like, 
I agree. I agree with you. I, like, but she but she holds on to like a hundred percent commitment. So I give her mad props. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's why I think we love it so much. Uh, one of the many many reasons. So this is the scene where. It, so they get to the forest, they're in the forest, and this the rain has subsided. And they, you know, the it's the famous um, log scene. Like, where they dance on the log. I want to know if you'll be my girl. Where was I? Let's, oh, the lift. Now we're in the lift. It's the it's the uh, lake part where they're practicing in him lifting her, doing that wonderful lift in the end. Mm-hmm. And she like tackles him. They try it in a field first, but it doesn't work. So the water scene is so it's the thing I love about this is they're they're they both have a common goal, right? Like and it's a physical goal and it brings them close because dancing is close. And then just as us watchers, as she's like mm-hmm. wet and they're both wet, you're like, Ugh, could this get any more sexual? <laughs> We're giving us all of the foreplay in this movie. <laughs> And we are living for it. Okay, so now it's the day. Now we're at the day of the abortion. I mean, the yes, no, the day of the abortion and the dance that they're going to go do. Penny and Baby have a great scene together. She's like, I'm nervous. He, you know, she's helping. Penny's helping her with her costume. She's like, and I'm going to keep my arms up and I'm going to do this and I do this. And Penny's like, Thanks, baby. Look, I just want you to know that I don't sleep around. Whatever Robbie might have told you. And I thought that he loved me. I thought it was something special. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that. And then Penny's like, I'm scared. I'm so scared, baby. And baby, with her always positive outlook, comforts Penny and says, it's going to be fine. Illegal abortions never go wrong. (laughs) Right? I mean, Jesus. Baby and Johnny are at the hotel. They pretty much pull it off, but the lift comes at, you know, very end. And it doesn't, they don't do it. Damn it. It doesn't work, but they keep going. Yay. It's over. And as they're. Right. She does the little like thumb dance. trying To like like, save time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, and he we like didn't flips do it. her around. She does this really oh, it's, awkward, it's kind of hilarious. It is awkward yeah. to say the least, but it's adorable. <laughs> it feels like what I would do if yeah. I was like, I don't know what else to do <laughs> exactly. right now. Like, and as they're bowing, they see actually the Schumachers, um, the old people. They had watched that that performance, and they're like, oh shit! I hope they don't see me, um, or recognize or me or because recognize you know, yeah. Penny or Baby is part of the upper echelon and Johnny's, you know, on the wrong side of the metaphorical tracks there. Of the, so that would be scandalous. Yeah. But they're also like a billion years Hopefully old. Hopefully so that's, probably and I, you know, um, and as baby gets dressed, they're in the back seat of her car, his car, and she's in the back dressing. And I just remember thinking that was so scandalous too. I'm like, Oh, she's getting negative. Um, <laughs> and hold on, moving on to my next, my next page here. So they're getting dressed as they drive. There's this such sexy tension and almost a, this is maybe I'm reading into it, but it feels like almost a sadness in baby's eyes, knowing that this is probably the last time because they don't really have a reason to get together anymore. And they get back to the resort right. and Billy runs up out of nowhere and he's like, it's Penny. And I would say the next words he says have traumatized me since. He didn't use no ether, nothing. I thought you said he was at real MD. The guy had a dirty knife and a folding table. 
I could hear her screaming in the hallway, and I swear to God, Johnny, I tried to get in. I tried. Ooh, a dirty knife and a folding table. Oh, here's yeah. my folding table. Right, and no, and ho- no, like numbing or pain medication or anything. It's just like torture. Also, Billy, are you being dramatic? Because why would someone use a dirty knife unless they were like a mean person? I'm just saying. Right. And didn't he get her the appointment? He did. So he was like vouching for this dude. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Well, baby runs to get her father, who is a doctor. And her dad, who he runs back to Penny with her. And this is Jerry Orbach, Dr. Hausman. He's such a beautiful actor. He's so gentle. And he's like, I know that hurts. We're going to make it okay. Like a good like a good um, servant of the community, as a doctor should be. Yeah. And he asks, who is responsible for this girl? And what he means is, who knocked her up? But Johnny says, it's me. But then Dr. Hausman, baby's dad, is like, is this what my money paid for? And he's very upset. And this is like the break in their relationship. He says, you will never see those people again. And does a weird thing, which I think sometimes parents do. And I've done it in a way where you blame something on the mother. He's like, don't worry, I won't tell your mother or your dad. Take that stuff off your face before your mother sees it, like the makeup, because she still had on from that night. And I was like, obviously, her mom wouldn't care. She's wearing makeup because Mm -hmm. her mom seems like a real like, you know. She'd probably really like that. But anyways, it's daddy who's uncomfortable with his daughter becoming a woman. A woman. And it's heartbreaking. I, I get it. This is an extreme version of that difference of child to adult but right. and then also the lie because he asked her if the money was for something illegal so that's probably maybe the first time that he knows for a fact that she that she lied to him yeah yeah and that hurts and then we go to the tingly scene for Avrin. <laughs> these arms of mine are playing which is I can't hear that song without being like, yes, let's yeah. get on. Because baby is led. So she goes to Johnny's cabin and she apologizes for the way her dad treated him. And he, he was like, no, no, your dad was amazing because he saved Penny's life in this movie. Yeah. He's like, the way he saved Penny, I could never do that. And we see more and more that Johnny is actually pretty insecure. You know, he came up mm-hmm. from nothing. He, people, well, we'll get to that. I'm going to get there. But he's, but he says, the reason people treat me like I'm nothing is because I'm nothing. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world and you think you can make it better. Somebody's lost, you find him. Somebody's bleeding. Yeah, I go get my daddy. That's really brave, like you said. That took a lot of guts to go to him. You are not scared of anything. I don't know. Me? I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And... Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. So good. Of course it makes you feel tingly. She went to him, you know, and she says, dance with me. And guess what they do? It's like a super-sized, sexy version of Dirty Dancing. It is slow. It is Mm -hmm. sexy. She touches his butt. Oh, my God. He takes her shirt off, and they break that tension by... Having sex that we don't see, but we assume that it's yeah. been done. And But I think it's such a beautiful scene. And I do think that the, the way it was interlaced with the dancing makes it beautiful. It's not just making out. You know, we see making right. out. I could see making out all the time and not really be like internally stirred by it. But this, <laughs> right. oof, 
they're like dancing and kissing and the music and is the so music. good. Don't you feel like crying? And oh. as as all of the aforementioned foreplay leading up to this, like we as an audience We're are already. Like, Thank God. I know. We're like, yeah, <laughs> we've been waiting. <laughs> and the next morning at breakfast, we hear over the loudspeaker about auditions for the Kellerman fin- finale talent show it's like the last thing of the season baby goes to visit penny in the servant quarters which whatever it's called but that's what it feels like and she's doing better and johnny joins and i guess dr hausman told her she's gonna be fine and she's like and i could still have children and we're like great okay i guess that's important to hear if that's what you want yeah for sure i mean well i don't know but i like that they added that that she that he was able to save whatever the back alley guy had done from like permanently ruining her. Right, because sometimes you know, that's not that's, the case. That's not probably a usual outcome of someone with a dirty knife and a folding table. Oh my God, and that is why we need legal and safe Absolutely. abortion. Yeah, for everyone. Yeah. So Penny's doing great. And Johnny's like, that's great. And then Penny looks at them both and she can just tell that they have They've done it. Yeah. Then baby leaves and Penny's like, you listen to me, you got to stop it now because we... It it is inferred that Johnny has been, you know, having sex with guests. But this Mm -hmm. one's real. This is like, obviously, they really like love each other. Baby goes back to his place and because she can't get enough of that D, you know, Mm -hmm. she gets a little taste of it and she just loves it. She asks him, have you had many women? This is like post-coital. And he tells her, no, I'm not going to tell you that. But eventually he starts talking. He tells her she, he came from the streets. And when he came to work here, rich women were slipping their keys to him one to two times a night. Baby says, that's okay. I understand you were just using them. And he says, no, don't you see? They were using me. Yeah. yeah. That night when Lisa tells Baby she's thinking of going all the way with Robbie, Baby tries to explain that she should wait to do that with someone you love. And Lisa replies, you're just mad daddy listens to me now. So it's kind of sad. There's a lot of weird like sibling rivalry in that. Right. Lots of interesting family dynamics. Like obviously Lisa has been waiting for her dad to think of her as his number one daughter. Exactly. And he is right now. And now it's the last day. They're back together and God damn, this is my, this, this might be my favorite scene ever. And they're in the <laughs> dance studio. It's bright white. And we hear, hey, Sylvia. Yes, Mickey. How do yeah. you call your little boy? It's so good. As a child, I was obsessed with the scene. Sylvia and I and my cousin Tamara, we would always do the lip syncing. Come here, mm-hmm. little boy. And crawl towards each other. We would. We would. This is, that is funny. I would be like, if I saw my kids and I'd be like, what the hell are they doing? But yeah, we did. Neil comes in and she immediately jumps out of their sexy pose. And he's like, I got an idea. We're going to do something. We're different. We're not going to end the season with the mambo that you guys normally do. We're going to end the season with the pachanga. And Johnny had had ideas. Ideas. You know, he's he's an artist. He wants to dance and he wants to show them maybe just a hint of some dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. Neil put the kibosh on that. After Neil leaves, Baby's like, tell him your ideas. Fight harder. As they're walking, Baby pulls him down so her dad won't see them together. And Johnny is pissed. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't see you running up to daddy to tell him I'm your guy. I don't think you ever had any intention of telling him. And he storms off. So this is when she's trying to go back to his place and Robbie encounters baby and robbie's like it's okay i went slumming too remember and johnny beats him up yeah because slumming was penny and robbie is the worst robbie is the worst he's a monster he's like he represents all that is horrible with so many things it was a well-deserved ass kicking he he got and now we're prepping for the show and vivian west remember the bungalow bunny 
Mm-hmm. She comes up to Johnny, and the scene is funny because Baby's painting the set, and her sister Lisa's like, well, "You can walk when you want, mm-hmm. you can walk when you want." Remember that? <laughs> of course I do. And she's like wearing like a little like like a hula wow outfit and like awkwardly, yeah, so good. I think that actress actually does such a great job with the role, and she's got some seriously awesome eyebrows. Her name is Jane Brucker. Yes, her eyebrows are fantastic. So Vivian West comes up to um, Johnny, and she says. It's our last night, lover. I have something worked out. Vivian's husband calls Johnny over. He's like, hey, uh, Johnny, you know, I got a lot of cards to play tonight. Why don't you get my wife some extra dance lessons? I'm like, do you know that she's having sex? He declines, actually. He's like, I can't take your money. I'm actually too busy. But because he's in love. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be used by these people anymore. So he's getting better, too. And then Lisa tells Baby that night that this is the night Robbie and I, he doesn't even know it yet, and I'm going to give him myself. And as she goes to his quarters, she knocks on the door, and we can see like a towel on the doorknob, which I think that's pretty code for we're having sex, don't come in outside. And she's like, Robbie, it's me, and nothing. She opens the door, and Vivian West is like riding him, and they both look at her, and she's like, I'm just glad. I'm just glad, Evan, that Lisa didn't have sex with him because he's such a horrible person. Right. And he already, like, tried to have sex with her without her permission and wouldn't even apologize. Yeah. But guess who also stayed in the bungalows? Baby also was going back for that D. And as they're both leaving at the same time, in the morning, like the early morning, we see Vivian see Baby and Johnny kissing. And she's pissed. She's not going to let that shit slide. The next day, we find out that Max, the owner, is telling Baby's family of how he is about to go to fire Johnny because all these wallets are being stolen. Vivian West can place him at each of these places. And all he had to do to get out of that was to say he had an alibi last night. But he was with Baby and, well, he didn't want to hurt her family and... Let them know that right. on top of lying about an illegal abortion that the dad paid for, he's also sleeping at his place. <laughs> exactly. So he's getting fired. And then baby is like, no, I know he didn't do it. She's like, I know he didn't do it. I know he didn't do it. She admits at the table to Max, like, I know he didn't do it because he was with me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She does it. What the hell? And of course, he's getting fired anyway. Because right for sleeping with baby, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the scene. This is the dad scene that always makes me cry. And we're on the porch. We see it's actually I think like a gazebo where the scene is set, looking out onto the lake. And Doctor Hausman is sitting in silent as baby comes out, and she says, "I'm sorry I lied to you, but you lied to me too. You told me everyone was like and it deserved a fair break, but you meant anyone who's like you." I'm sorry I let you down, but you let me down too. Their tension and Jerry Orbach's eyes and face is just crying. They're both crying. It's just the most beautiful, vulnerable scene. And at that moment, he has to treat her like an adult. I mean, maybe that's not his plan, but like you just see she's not a kid anymore. She is blossomed into a young woman. And And to have, I mean, I can't imagine for a parent to have like your own child be like, I know I let you down, but you let me down too. Yeah. Like I'm not perfect, but neither are you. Shit. It's heavy shit, man. I know. For a, for a dance movie. Exactly. <laughs> but that's why it's good. That's why it is what it is. The greatest. And then she finds out, they fired you anyway because of me, and she freaks out. I did it for nothing. You're right, Johnny. You can't win no matter what you do, she says, dejected. I used to think so. 
Now she's bitter and jaded. Yeah, she's bitter and jaded. I don't know if you've ever had like a breakup where you kind of feel like when it's the end and you're kind of saying goodbye. And he says, I'll never be sorry. And she says, neither will I. Then we hear she's like the wind written and performed by Patrick Stacey. She's like the wind. wind. (laughs) Yeah, so good. As baby sadly gets ready for the talent show. Her sis offers some love. and Right, they have a nice moment. Now we're at the show, and Baby is sad. She's got that beautiful pink dress on. She's with her parents, and everyone is there, the servers, but Johnny is not there. But the rest of the dance people are there watching the show, but they're not doing their normal end-of-year dance. Mm-hmm. And on the stage, they sing that thickly long song. At Kellerman's. Yeah. Na, 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 yeah. Join hands and hearts and voices, voices, hearts and hands. And they sing it yeah. for like five Forever. minutes. Neil is now the director of the talent show. Exactly. So makes sense. Oh, my God. And there's a scene between Max and like the music director guy. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think kids want to come here anymore. You know what they want? They want to go on European vacations, 22 countries in three days. So Robbie is walking by baby and her family's table and Dr. Hasman pops up real quick. He's like, hey, Robbie, uh, I just want to give you a check for college. Good luck in medical school. And like a fucking idiot, Robbie, and thank God, honestly, gives himself up. And he's like, I wanted to thank you too, Doc, for your help with the penny situation. We all got ourselves into situations like that. You know what it's like. We all... And the doctor and Dr. Hausman's like, what? And take the damn check back and and was like, I'm just like, finally. Right. He's he sees the truth, but also stupid Robbie. It's just like, I know this is and it's a very smart part of the story, but it kills me. I'm just like, someone tell the doctor Robbie's the one who knocked her up. Oh, my God. <laughs> we see baby sitting sullen and heartbroken in like kind of a corner, but not really technically a corner. She's at a round table at the back of the room <laughs> where there's like kind of a pillar next to her. When all of the sudden, Johnny comes back in his adorable black, he had a black leather jacket on and black tank top, black pants, black shoes, whatever, all the black. And he walks right up to her and he says the line that is the famous line. Nobody puts baby in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Which I read somewhere he really wanted not to say. That's true. He he was refusing. And so they only got him to do it one time. Exactly. And it made the movie. So... I, like just fun facts in that in that documentary I was watching the writer was like I don't know about the line I just put it in there but it is one like you said it's one of the I love it screw it I yeah. felt like it's like metaphorically in the corner nobody puts this bright young Francis Houseman or whatever because her real name's Francis they got that out of the way he knows her her real name's not baby they just call her baby as a nickname growing up anyways he grabs her hand he's like come on and they go get up on stage he says I'm gonna do my kind of dancing with a great partner who taught me to stand up for what's right, Miss Frances Hausman. And they do their dance that they practice so hard, and it goes Mm -hmm. so well. And towards the end of the dance, before the lift, he jumps off the stage, and it's like, we hear the, now I had the time of my life. She does the lift, guys. She actually makes the lift, and it's just perfection. Everyone dances. Even the mom gets a little dirty. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Ah. The scene is good. And this is also the scene where they do that huge dancing where all the dancers do like the step back. I've been waiting for so long. Yes. And as Baby and Johnny leave, Dr. Houseman stops him and he says, hey, I know you weren't the one who got Penny in trouble. When I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. You look wonderful out there, you know? (laughs) And that's, I mean, then they just dance it out and that's the end of Dirty 
gosh darn dancing people one of the best romantic comedies out there yes um thank you for that walk down memory lane i now i want to watch the movie i know it's so good or just like listen to the soundtrack while i do chores when we're done here it would be worth it um yeah i will okay so i was trying to find a crime to tell you about and i was kind of like i should find like a cat skill crime apparently if i had really thought about it i should have found an old couple that stole from people at hotels crime because i bet you that happens but i decided to go with um the murder of a dance instructor so the story takes place in silverthorne colorado which is a small um mountain community very close to breckenridge it's actually where i stayed with my family this summer when i went to on that great road trip oh yeah silverthorne um and it takes place in the year 2010 uh, so Stephanie Bruner and her husband, Dale Bruner, were like, it's a small community, right? So they were very well known, like vital, important members of the community. He was a photographer. She worked for the city, but she was also the local dance instructor. And something that this town did every year was they called it Dancing with the Mountain Stars. And they would get like prominent business people from the community and pair them up with a dance instructor from the local dance studio and put on a show at a charity that was like... That's fun. Pretty like she-she charity, like $150 a person to get in. And so Stephanie had been doing... She had been one of the, not the stars, but the dancers. She wasn't a mountain star. And in 2010, she was paired up with a gentleman named Ron Holthouse, who was a physical therapist and actually happened to be a very good dancer, was very much like already kind of a capable dancer. And as they were training for this competition or this performance at this charity thing, it was undeniable that there was something between the two of them. Sexy sparks flying. Yes, like the way that you said before about how like dancing is it's a physical thing and it's like bodies close together and moving and rhythm and communication and like things that are important in actual relationships that you do like through this activity. But they're both married, right? So Stephanie's married to her husband, Dale. They have three kids. And Ron has got a wife as well named Cindy. But they cannot deny this like thing between the two of them. In fact, she doesn't tell her husband, but she starts telling her friends that she's found her soulmate and that she can't, like, she never knew that she could feel this way about someone oh, or that gosh. this kind of, um, like, passion between two people who've not ever done anything, mind you, could exist. So things in the Bruner marriage start to kind of strain shortly after this charity dance. And it's the middle now of October in 2010. And unfortunately, along with, you know, she's telling her friends that she's met someone and, you know, she doesn't know if she can stay with her husband because even though she loves her husband, she feels like, I think I've met my soulmate. I might have to explore this. Um, She then loses her job as well. So there's she gets laid off from like the city job that she had. And um, she also then tells her husband that she wants a divorce, that she she's met someone and that she loves her husband, but she just she knows that she can't not explore this. And if she doesn't try and see if there's something there with Ron, that she don't, she'll never be happy either way, you know? So yeah. she's like, let's separate. And um, let me backtrack. So that happens in October. Sorry, this is important. So on November 22nd of 2010, apparently Stephanie and Dale get into an argument. And around 10 p.m. that night, she tells her husband that she just needs to go for a walk to clear her head. 
Now, I just need to remind everyone that this place, uh, this takes place in Colorado at like 9,000 feet. It's end of November. It's a snowing outside, like feet of snow on the ground. I don't think people really like go out for long walks in this kind of weather. But she's like, I have to go for a walk and clear my head. When he wakes up the next morning, she is not there. So he then calls the police and reports her missing. Sorry, I meant to say that earlier into the story. Okay, so the weekend before he reported her missing, Dale had actually helped her move out of their home into a like a condo she had rented. So this is um, the weekend before she goes missing. And in the middle of the same night that he had moved her out of their home into her new place, he heard a sound outside and it was Stephanie. She had come home. She crawled into bed with him, told him she'd made a huge mistake and that she wanted to stay in the marriage. Okay, wait. Dale and Stephanie are the married couple. Yes. And, and then, then the she other guy told him about Ron. 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 She told him about Ron. He agreed that, you know, they should separate. He even helped her move out. But the very same day she moved out, in the middle of the night, she showed up back at home, oh. crawled into bed, said she'd made a huge mistake, and that she wanted to stay in oh, the marriage. Okay. And then just two days after that, she goes missing. So after she's been reported missing, police brought Ron, um, the lover, in for questioning. And he explained to them in an interview that while he and Stephanie had definitely, definitely been having an emotionally involved, uh, had been emotionally involved, their affair had never gone uh, beyond like over the clothes stuff. So like they had kissed, they had kind of groped each other, but they'd never had sex and they'd never like fully crossed the line. Uh-huh. Um, but it, they had a, but they very much were having an emotional affair. Um, He then also told police that two days earlier, so remember I said she went missing two days after she came back to her husband, two days earlier, he had ended their affair. She called him and told him that she had moved out of the house and gotten a condo for the two of them, and he told her that he and his wife were on vacation in Hawaii and he was going to make his marriage work. So she's devastated, and she goes back to her husband because basically the day she moved out and finally was like, I'm going to tell him that we can give this a real go. He tells her that it's a no-go and he wants to give his marriage another shot. So she goes missing. Um, there's massive searches for her for days. It's cold. They're combing all of the areas like around her home. They live obviously in a mountain community. So there's a lot of outdoor space to cover. And then the day after Thanksgiving, Stephanie is found. Her body um, was discovered in the Blue River that was um, just 350 yards away from her home. Oh. So the question now is, was it suicide? Was it an accident? Or did somebody hurt her? Yeah. Uh, because it was so close to home and her husband had explained that she went out for a walk. Like, did she get disoriented in a fall? Um, but four days after she was found, the autopsy revealed <clears throat> excuse me, that she'd been bludgeoned, strangled, <gasps> and then thrown into the river where she ultimately died of hypothermia and drowning. So part of the reason why they were kind of immediately believing that foul play had befallen her is that the bottoms of her feet um, didn't have any, like, signs of, you know, like the hypothermia that would have happened if she'd walked barefoot, if her feet had ever been on the ground. So it became very clear that somebody had, like, carried her body to the river and thrown her in. So now police know that Stephanie Bruner was, in fact, murdered. And because of the messy uh, personal life that she was kind of in the midst of having, they have three immediate suspects, right? So obviously the husband, because it's always the husband. Right. (laughs) Um, 
the lover, um, which I guess in this case you would call her emotional lover, and um, the lover's wife. So police bring Ron back in for questioning. This time, um, he told police that the night of Stephanie's disappearance, he had actually met up with her in a parking lot behind the outlet malls. Um, and it was not a happy meeting. Like she was still trying to convince him that they should give it a shot. And he again came back and said, I'm going to try to make things work out with my wife. Um, so then police bring in Ron's wife and she is pissed. You guys, she (laughs) did not know about this affair until earlier this day when the police had shown up to ask Ron to come in for questioning. And he kind of told her, Hey, this is why they want to talk to me. And so she is so mad and she's not talking very kindly about her hubby or about Stephanie. She says, like, I don't know where she is. I had nothing to do with it, but I hope she rots in hell. Like she's that's the kind of stuff she's saying to the cops. And the cops are like, okay. But as mad as uh, Cindy, Ron's wife, was, she did corroborate the alibi that Ron had given them, which was that they were both home together the night that Stephanie went missing. Um, And they're like, well, is there a chance that he could have, you know, when you were sleeping, he could have gotten up? And she's like, I mean, I guess there's a chance, but I'd like to think I'd wake up. I'm not like a super heavy sleeper or anything. So these two are now clearly suspects. They both fail polygraph tests, um, but cops can't figure out, like, did um, Cindy actually know about the affair before? And so it's all a big lie. Did they do it together? Are they one covering for the other? Yeah. So they're kind of stuck with these two, but they don't, they haven't cleared them yet. But of course, at the same time, police are still looking into her husband, Dale, because you guys, it's always the husband. Yeah. And a friend of Stephanie's had told the police that six weeks earlier, before her disappearance, her murder, um, Stephanie had heard Dale spanking their son. He had hit him eight times before Stephanie was able to make it upstairs, and she was furious. This also happened to be the same day she ended up getting laid off. So as soon as she gets laid off from her job, still fuming over the fact that her son or like that her husband had hit her son, uh-uh. she she drives herself straight to the federal court building and she files a restraining order against Dale. But in a weird move that didn't make much sense at the time, she asked the court to delay implementing the order until the following Monday. And that's because, you guys, they had a little family trip that they were planning for the weekend. So she was like, I want to file this restraining order, but don't do it till Monday because I guess her husband and the three kids and her were all going to go away for the weekend. And she wanted to be able to do that still. Oh, weird. But that also kind of makes you wonder, like, how truly worried was she? Was this just like, a, you know, was she Or just- was she afraid of doing it, like, angering him? Right. Yeah, so it's kind of like the motive of why some people say she just wanted to be able to let her kids have this trip they were looking forward to without having to, like, uninvite Ron because he was now no longer allowed to be within a certain distance of them. Um, So they had a really nice family trip together. And then the Monday after their trip is when Stephanie then told Dale – so this was the six weeks earlier, just so you know, timeline. So it's when they get back from this trip that she first tells her husband about the emotional affair she's having with Ron. And then she also says, oh, and I've taken a restraining order out against you, and you're about to be served. And then he was. So Dale's forced to leave the family home because he's not allowed to be close to the son that he had spanked. Uh, But 10 days later, the couple actually goes to court together and asks the judge to rescind the restraining order. And in the Dateline episode I watched, they play audio of that. And he does truly sound like, I will never hit my child again. I am so incredibly sorry that you know that I caused any all of this to happen and I I'm gonna get help and I'm never gonna do this again hmm. 
So um, apparently Stephanie and Dale had talked it all over like adults and they decided that they were going to go through with the divorce, but that a restraining order was unnecessary and would probably cause just way too much emotional trauma for their children. And Dale, as I mentioned, even agreed to help Stephanie move into her new condo. Police now know there are three people who have really strong motives, but who the hell did it? They were still investigating all three of them when certain aspects of Dale's behavior started to kind of move him up to the top of the list, if you will, in the Mm. eyes of police. One, why had Dale waited until morning to report her missing if she had gone for a walk on a freezing cold night and didn't come home and he'd waited all the way until nine o'clock the next morning before calling? Why hadn't Dale, when all of her friends and neighbors had been out searching for her for days, why had he not participated in any of the searches? Um, And then also there's the fact that Stephanie's body had been found so close to their home and would have been easy for Dale to take her body there. So two weeks after the murder, detectives get a search warrant for Dale and Stephanie's house. And when they arrived, the house that they had previous that had you know, been visited by police to like tell them, you know, take the statements when she was reported missing. They had been previously like cluttered and full and, you know, like a house with three kids. Um, Now, when they serve the search warrant, it's surprisingly tidied up. And in fact, there is not a single thing that suggests that Stephanie had ever been there. There are no personal items, no clothing. There's not even a photograph of her in the home to be found. It is also around this time that Dale kind of changed his story. That's never a good move, guys. Yeah. If you change your story, the cops are going to be like, well, you, you're you lying. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't change your story. So remember, he had told police that they had gotten into an argument and that she had gone for a walk to clear her head the night she went missing. So now he is like steadfastly holding and insisting that the story that they never had an argument that was not true that had never been a part of it um and cops are like okay buddy well we don't believe you because then why did she go for a walk in the middle of the night yeah um so pressure is on they are now kind of totally zeroed in on dale even child protective services were sent in and all three of um the couple's children were removed from the home and placed with uh stephanie's brother um, and at this point, the scrutiny, the police attention, the losing his children, like the friends of Dale and Stephanie are worried about Dale. So a good friend of theirs, Bill, actually goes and like moves into the house to stay with him and kind of keep an eye on him because yeah. they're like, what's he going to do to himself? Then nine months after Stephanie was murdered, Dale Bruner is officially charged with the murder of his wife, but he posts bond and he's offered a, a plea deal which he refuses to take. He says he is innocent and he will never, ever take a a plea to a crime he didn't commit. Um, So while awaiting trial, Dale spent two years living in that family home that he had shared with his wife and three kids by himself, kind of like out on bond, awaiting trial. And then in response to some of those things that police said made him like seem like the most likely killer dale says that the reason he didn't call police sooner after stephanie left the house that night is because he assumed that she'd gone to see her boyfriend um he also claimed that the reason he didn't participate in any of the searches is because he called police about it and they told him that he needed to stay home in case she returned so in court dale's lawyers are pointing to ron and cindy holdhouse which makes sense you know they explained that the spot he his lawyers explained that the reason that the house was so clean, like no signs of her, was that friends and family had come over and they were just trying to help 
kind of like remove any of the sadness. Mm. I don't know. No photographs. Uh, um, but they were just doing it to try to help Dale because he seemed so distraught. Um, but then the defense brought in testimony from beyond the grave in multiple ways. Stephanie's own words, words recorded by her and words from her own friends. So she had told multiple friends that when Dale got angry, he saw red, that he had slammed her up against a wall and strangled her once, and that another time he had thrown her down on the bed and dug his knee into her then-pregnant stomach. <gasps> yep. Then they also brought in uh, an ex-girlfriend of Dale's who testified, her name was Jody, and she testified to a story of how one night when she and Dale were living together, he had come home late and missed dinner when she kind of was like, where the hell have you been? He threw her to the floor, put his hands around her neck, and he said, if you ever question me again, I'll kill you. So prosecutors argue that Dale has a history of uh, domestic abuse with his his favorite method being strangulation um, when he's angry. Um, Prosecutors then had an expert in domestic violence testify that the most dangerous time period for a woman in a violent relationship is immediately after she leaves the relationship. So she had moved out. Yes, she had come back in, but she had basically left him right two days before she was killed. And that's the most dangerous time for any woman that's in um, a domestic abuse situation. Wow, that's that's important information people should know. Yes, absolutely. Like that's 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 the. The height of like when you're in danger is right after you actually leave. So um, prosecutors now have to say like they have to basically prove what would have made him so angry that he would have killed her. Um, And it turns out that it was an email that Stephanie was sending to Ron. So, you know, he said, we fought, she left. No, we never fought, but she left. And I didn't call police because I just figured she went over to see her boyfriend's. But one thing that he did say in his story was that she left the house around 10, 1030. To, that was the time and that never changed. But when the forensics like went through her computer, it showed that and this was her personal computer, not the family's, not the house's, it was her personal laptop, that she was actually composing an email to Ron at 11.02 p.m., meaning she was still in her home uh-huh. writing this email. Um, In this email, she was basically telling Ron that she refused to give up on their love and that she was, you know, she was never going to believe that they weren't meant to be together. But the email like stopped mid word. Right. So she's writing this email. And then because her um, computer auto saved every two minutes, this is a saved draft that they find at 1102 p.m. And it's like she's typing and then it's like something's cut her off from typing. So prosecutors posit that Dale caught Stephanie writing this email, even though he had just she had just come back saying, like, I made a mistake. I'm going to stay home. He had hit her over the head with something, strangled her. And then believing that she was dead, he had uh, taken her body and dumped her in the river. So the jury finds Dale guilty of second degree murder of um assault and of like tampering with evidence. And because of the nature of the crime, the judge gives him the harshest possible sentence and uh, has all of these different things. He has to serve them um, consecutively, I think is the way they put it. So instead of concurrently, Mm. like if one is 20 years and one is 30 years, you'd just be 30 years. But no, the judge is like, you're going to serve them consecutively. So he's ultimately sentenced to 112 years in prison and he still maintains his innocence to this day and uh, says that it had to have been Ron or Ron's wife um 
But it seems pretty clear oh. if she was mid-composing an email. It was interesting. The Dateline episode, it's called Secrets in the Snow. Ooh. Um, but the, Keith Morrison's actually interviews Dale Bruner. Like, oh, really? He's talking to him. And I think it's because this, like I mentioned, he was out for two years on bond before his trial. And I'm, I'm guessing that this was in the lead up to the trial. And that's why he's not clearly, he's clearly not in prison. He's just chatting with Keith Morrison, who, again, I just have to say, I just love the way he talks when he tells these stories. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the story of the murder of a dance instructor um, by the hands of her husband. And a, quite a crazy kind of love triangle. I thought it was so interesting. I, you don't often find... Um, stories where like people leave marriages over affairs that are really more emotional than phys- like normally it's both yes. right and so the fact that you know neither I mean she told her friends too it wasn't a physical affair yet that's huh. what she wanted to explore and then Ron also said we never did anything more than like kind of kiss or like touch each other over our clothes um, but just the that the connection between the two of them that they found when they were dancing together was so profound that she was willing to to leave her apparently awful husband. So I also yeah, don't blame her. Like, exactly. of course you want to leave excuse. your horrible <laughs> ass husband. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was such a, it was a bummer of a story. Wow. No, but that, I think that's a great, uh, a great tie in because listen, chemistry comes from yeah. all sorts all of things. All kinds of strange yeah, but... places, but dance is definitely one of them. Yay. Good story. Yeah. Thank you guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Rom Crime. Thank you again, Shannon. And yes. go watch Dirty Dancing. <laughs> and also watch, check out the, if you haven't checked out that um, documentary series called The Movies That Made Us on Netflix. Yeah. Very good. I even cried at the end. I, I've seen it before, but I watched it again today. And I cried at the end when they do a whole thing for Patrick Swayze for his oh, death. You know, he, he passed away for pancreatic cancer in 2000, I want to say nine or something like that. Thank you, guys. We yeah, love you thank so you for listening. Much. And we'll talk to you all next week. Yep. Bye. We hope you enjoy our podcast. If you do like it, please rate, review, and subscribe to Rom Crime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can follow Rom Crime on all social media platforms and send us messages for things you'd like us to cover in the future. You can also email us at romcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Join us for bonus content exclusively on Patreon. We'll see you next Friday for another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, researched, and edited by us. Till next week.